In this podcast, we have conversations with people who've been fucked up by their faith, and we explore how they found hope, healing, reconciliation, and forgiveness in or out of their faith tradition. Welcome to uh, Fucked Up by Faith. This is actually going to be the first episode in this new season. Um, as I'm very excited to say hello to Erin Myskowski. Myskowski, wow. she tells me, is the American way of pronouncing it, the Midwest way of pronouncing it. Um, and Erin is a queer neurodivergent speaker and preacher, teacher, worship leader, coach and consultant, and uses their intersection, uh, intersecting marginalizations to help support her clients in creating mutually inclusive cross-cultural spaces. Erin is a qualified administrator for the Intercultural Development Inventory and uses this tool in their work. Welcome, Erin. It's lovely to have you on the podcast. Thanks Thank you so for being much. here. I'm excited to be here. Yes, I'm excited to have you here. Um, so as always, people who've listened to this podcast before will know, and those of you who are new are about to find out that I always begin with a poem or a blessing or a prayer depending on how I feel moved. So I've chosen a poem this morning, one of my favourites. Um, and I know I've read it before, but I don't care. <laughs> and it's called God Says Yes to Me by Kaylin Hott. I asked God if it was okay to be melodramatic. And she said, yes. I asked her if it was okay to be short. And she said, it sure is. I asked her if I could wear nail polish or not wear nail polish. And she said, honey, she calls me that sometimes. She said, you can do just exactly what you want to. Thanks, God, I said. And is it even okay if I don't paragraph my letters? Sweetcakes, God said. Who knows where she picked that up? What I'm telling you is, yes. 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 I love the poem so much. Never heard that before. That's awesome. Isn't that it was... wonderful? Oh my gosh. That was incredible. Thank you for sharing that. Well, you're very welcome. So, Erin, how have you been fucked up by your faith? Oh, goodness. I think a lot of it for me comes down to being told that there was only one way to do things. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I, you know, have an original thought <laughs> and realize <laughs> that there's more than one way to do this. There's mm -hmm. more than one way to connect with God, our creator, the divine, whatever you actually want to call God in this space and that those things are still real and still valid and they still exist. Like I, my story starts out in the black American faith tradition, relatively conservative when it comes to social issues with the exception of race. 
you because you know it makes a lot of sense that when we're in a black uh, a black American tradition that we are fighting for the rights of black American people, right? Mm-hmm. So of course. in terms of the um, social status and social standing and and the social issues we were fighting after, we were always talking about um, the racial aspects of it, but really outside of things that impacted the black community overall as a whole and our blackness, we really didn't go any further than that. There were- yeah. Some instances where we talked about disability, there were some instances where we talked about um, some of the scientific creation pieces that tend to that tend to live um, in the in the Christian debate. But there was not a whole lot of support for other communities in that realm, right? Yeah. So lots of talk about racial justice and racial reconciliation and those types of things. Um, But there was not that same passion for queer justice and queer reconciliation, not that same, at least not that same passion for disability justice and and disability reconciliation and any of those other kind of isms that can permeate and infiltrate our church spaces. We had the the racism down. We did really well in fighting the racism. Um, But when it came to a plethora of some of the other stuff that we could have been using our influence for that wasn't really there. Yeah. Um, and it just perpetuated this. There's only one way to do things. There's only one way to do things. Mm. Um, and I think that is just where a large part of my story comes down to, um, as a queer Christian, as a neurodivergent human in general, there's more than one way to do things. Um, and realizing that really pulled me out of, a really huge depression. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that d- that depression presumably came about because you found yourself in that space where where the ex- expression of so much of yourself was was diminished. Yeah, there was. Um, so I can kind of go back to as as an adult, a lot of my faith development kind of at least initially stayed with. The denominations that I was used to. So I grew up in a relatively charismatic church. So it was um, lots of energy in comparison to, um, I'm assuming, <laughs> I'm going to assume a lot more energy than than the Church of England does on a regular basis. Yeah, there are there is there is a side of the Church of England which is more charismatic. Um, but uh, yeah, most on the whole, <laughs> you won't find much basis. in the way of. Ex- of expression other than in hymns you know yeah right there's no certainly no dancing <laughs> certainly no dancing yeah whereas I as a worship leader will definitely like just jump around and I usually have yeah. a bubble wand in my pocket that I Wonderful. left on an airplane somewhere that I'm really sad about <laughs> um but in terms of the adult faith formation I definitely like stayed in the spaces I was comfortable yeah until those spaces no longer welcomed me Mm-hmm. So when I actually started to, um, I actually left this town. So this is where I, I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I went to college here and I was here for a little bit, left and then came back. And when I came back, the church that I was a part of when I left, when I came back, I had gotten married. I had come out a bit more publicly about my queerness. So when I came back, they didn't know what to do with me in terms mm-hmm. of allowing me to participate Um in that moment, it was 
in the music ministry and like on the praise team and in the choir and things like that. They didn't know what to do with me. So they just kind of let me be. Yeah. And then when I started asking questions and started stirring the pot, it started to become apparent to me that I was not fully welcome in this church space as Mm -hmm. my entire self, which is not the God that I believe in. Mm -hmm. But also as part of that intersectionality, this particular community was really my last connection that I had to a racial community to the black community in in my city Mm -hmm. so I knew that by walking away from my church I was also walking away from that community in that way so there is still kind of this emptiness that's even there sometimes that yes I can bring my faith traditions and my places and and my pieces of myself into other spaces, but then I'm still the one bringing it in and I'm still the one kind of doing the educating and it's still the one yes. in the room bringing in the special and it's not inherently there. It's still something new and different. So it's not everyone else's comfort zone. So therefore it can't be mine, if that makes sense. Yeah. And also there's an additional uh, whole layer of work of labor required Mm -hmm. to facilitate that for yourself Mm -hmm. and for other people right yeah 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 it's just an it's an interesting space to be in and realizing that there's so much of that culture that's connected to to this faith community as well that was an interesting thing to kind of pull apart Mm. uh, in that the the church that I belong to was my only connection to people that looked like me, at least my only real connection to a large amount of people that looked like me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't necessarily have that same camaraderie in another space. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I had to kind of go find it and make it. And it's still, um, I met a friend in 2019 and he was also kind of looking for a very similar thing. He's like, I want a queer affirming charismatic church. He's like, I'm trying to make a queer affirming charismatic church. Let's do this thing together. Um, so we've kind of been been building since then, and it has just kind of um, very much been an interesting space and place. And even still, there's still not that fully inclusive aspect that I really, really want and would love to have. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's me, and then the the pastor of this community is an Afro Latino um man also gay the majority of the rest of the congregation is still white yeah like so you've got so you've got two people of color in charge you've got maybe maybe one or two people of color that are regularly in the congregation and then it's still really really white so even though they're still like the the worship style that I'm comfortable bringing in and even still all of those kind of different pieces of of my culture and his culture that we're able to bring into the space and still having the ability to do that there's still this yeah like you kind of said the labor that needs to be done to be mm-hmm. able to to be in this authentic space absolutely so, so it's the unraveling of the authenticity is is another piece i think where this kind of comes in is we were created 
to be who we are. And then as soon as we're born, the rest of the world comes in and starts telling us who we are supposed to be and who we need to be. And really the goal is to get back to that human that we were, that we were when we were born. Exactly. Right. Uh, yeah. And I, I know that that's also part of what you offer out into the world as your job is, <laughs> is around authenticity. So I'd love to hear more about what that means to you and also what it means when you're working with other people to help them rediscover it. Yeah. I think for me, there's there's a variety of ways that I define authenticity in, in this. And I think the biggest and best way that I like to talk about it is saying that you were 100% authentic at the moment of your birth. Mm-hmm. And and like, I literally, <laughs> like I just said, everything else that when you come out, there's all of this other information that's coming. If, if we're going literally to the moment of birth, it goes from you are in this kind of dark, cozy space to all of a sudden it is loud and it is bright. And there are people that are trying to tell you when you're supposed to sleep because that's when they want to sleep. Um, and there's mm-hmm. all these other messages and things that, are there to try to make you conform to this world that everyone else has built and not necessarily leaving space for you in that moment to make room for yourself. And of course, when you're a baby, you're helpless. You really can't do anything to make space for yourself. But at the same time, from that moment, you're being groomed into this society. And I feel like groomed is a really strong word, but I also can't really come up with a better one. Yes. And it's one that's being misused appallingly at the moment as well. So yeah, a reclamation of the word in context, I think is really important. Um, That's fair. Yeah. And, and I also believe that as we grow up, being able to find that authenticity and put it back out into the world is really how you empower the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. That's how you can get other people to be authentic and to to be vulnerable and to be in those places and spaces. If I show up as myself, then my goal, other than showing up as myself, is to get you to show up as yourself because that's how we can create those authentic connections yeah. and be able to be in some shared faith, faith spaces and have difficult conversations. And we can walk away still individually believing what we believe Mm-hmm. but also understanding a little bit more about each other and about ourselves through that conversation. Yeah. And and those are conversations which are really, really needed. Mm-hmm. Um, really needed. So thank you for offering that out to the world. <laughs> I think it's 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 wonderful that uh, that you're choosing that path. Now, something I've really wanted to ask you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As your shirt, I saw those on your website. I have to. <laughs> I have to get one of those. So um, it says Jesus and justice and cussing That's too much. much. Yep. <laughs> Which, well, I mean, you probably guess, given that my podcast is named Fucked Up by Faith, that I'm right with you, Erin. Yeah. <laughs> so coming from, I, I come from Glasgow. I don't know if you're aware of the city in, mm-hmm. in Scotland. Okay. It has a reputation for being um, uh, down to earth. <laughs> and okay. and so swearing we would call it swearing rather than cussing in in yeah. the UK but it's the same Either thing way. um 
is is kind of a it's part of our language and mm -hmm. and uh you know it's it so every every conversation is peppered with cuss words and i find it expressive and necessary <laughs> and <Absolutely. laughs> yes so i love it i thought i have to get one of those shirts um <laughs> yeah there's a and it's I actually had a friend recently ask me he's like what do you mean by too much I'm like the too much is subjective to what other people tell me like yeah. I don't cuss too much I I use words in the ways that I think I can use words I, my god blessed me with creative language <laughs> so <laughs> I, I I tend to use that and I honestly and and part of this whole thing is like I really don't think god cares if we say fuck every once in a while no why every would God be bothered with that, like <laughs> the minutiae of our language? Right. Mm -hmm. If we're not causing harm to someone, if we're not, essentially, if we're not causing harm to ourselves or other people, then maybe we should reevaluate what the the swearing and the cussing actually is. Because it's, it's, and this is one of those questions that I asked as a kid, like, what makes a swear word a swear word? You know, that kind of mm -hmm. eight-year-old mm -hmm. question. And no one could tell me. It's just mm -hmm. these words aren't very nice. Why? Because they're not. Why? <laughs> so just getting mm -hmm. into that cycle. So I'm like, okay, so no one can tell me why fuck is a bad word. So I'm just going to start using it. And you're going to be okay with it. <laughs> so there's a lot of kind of that respectability politics is one of, has that, is that a term that you're familiar with? Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. it, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the respectability politics plays into that as well of you have to be the right kind of person. So kind of going back into the the one way to do things, you have to be the right kind of person. You have to present in this sort of way. Um, I've even seen ministries and, and churches where, yes, we definitely welcome queer people. Okay. So then what does that actually look like? Well, you can come in and you can be a part of our congregation. So that means I can come and sit in your pews on a Sunday, but I can't necessarily participate in any sort of ministry space. Exactly. It's not welcoming, friends. No, it's definitely not, not inclusive. That's not affirming. Um, mm. And I've also seen ministries where they have queer people in their congregation and have like ministries for queer people and queer families. But even then, those queer families and queer couples still have to be in this realm of appearing heteronormative. Yes. Yeah. As long as, uh, as long as they look like what, what a traditional family looks like, then that's acceptable. That part. So as long yeah. as there's two parents with the kids that are there, as long as it's monogamous, that's another piece that Absolutely. happens. Yep. We have to be in this realm of monogamy. We have to, to make sure that all of those things are happening. And if we're not, ooh, then you don't fit into our world of Christian queerness. I'm sorry. You still, so even then, there's got to be this broader expansion of what queerness actually looks like and actually sounds like and actually exists in this context. Yeah. So it's almost like we are still having to ask permission to exist. And, <clears throat> and the people who are making the decisions around what is acceptable, and sometimes in church contexts in the Church of England, it's about what's legal you know oh yes yes um yes. the people who are making those decisions are not the people who are subject to the decisions you know they might be given a seat at the table to, to talk about it but 
ultimately they're not necessarily in, the, in those positions of authority. Isn't mm. that how it usually goes, though? Of course. Usually the people making the decisions aren't actually beholden to the decisions they're making. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And nothing rattles my cage more than decisions being made about me without me. Um, but, you know, it's the perennial experience, isn't it, of being queer, being disabled, of mm. being black in certain marginalized spaces, you know, like, etc. Yeah. That's a phrase I actually relatively recently heard is nothing about us without us. Yeah. And it's definitely resonated with me greatly when I heard it. And it's like, oh my gosh, this makes a lot of sense. So and because that, that comes out of disability activism. Um, and, that, you know, we can learn a lot from the, from the kind of radical activism that that uh, uh, disabled people have shown over the over the years. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. I kind of wanted to cycle back to your original church experience, mm -hmm. the, your charismatic church. Mm -hmm. um, was that the church that you grew up in or something similar? Something similar. So right. um, the church I grew up in, I grew up in Illinois. Um, yeah. So I now live in Michigan. So it's um, not necessarily super far, um, but I did find a church that I felt was similar to the one I grew up in when I moved um, to GR and it felt very similar and it did actually feel really liberal in comparison. Yeah. Um, the church was newer, the pastor felt a little younger and in a bigger group of people, it's easier to get lost in a good mm -hmm. way. In this case, it's easier to kind of fly under the radar, um, and for people not to be as known and not to be as seen. Um, whereas the church I grew up in, I grew up there. I was born and raised there. Um, so yes. I was very, very seen, very, very known, um, so coming out was a very different experience there. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was a moment of, I think when I was outed, I'll say that when I was outed at the church, okay. I was in, um, it ended in, and I was 17 when this happened, mm -hmm. uh, it ended in a conversion therapy adjacent experience. Okay. Um, so there, and there was not, of course, there weren't any licensed people involved. And of course it was just a fully shame-based conversation, part of which was explaining to a 17 year old how sex worked. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I I know, I know how this works. Thanks. Um, and in that moment, that was also just, it was incredibly embarrassing. It was incredibly shame-filled and it was, I had no idea what was going on. I'm like, and I know, and I, I, I knew the rules, but I also knew that this is how I feel and this is how I am. And that this, nothing is going to change this. Um, yeah. And nothing is necessarily going to change how I feel at the very least, nothing is going to change how I feel about queerness as a, as a, as it exists. So mm -hmm. even in, in those moments, whether or not I remained queer, I didn't know I, I wasn't there yet. Um, Cause I think I was still entertaining Yeah. in my 17 year old mind. Can I give this up? Is this a thing? Are they right? Am I going to hell? I don't know. Let's figure this out. Um, and eventually I was able to ask those questions in safer spaces. Mm -hmm. um, but there was definitely a lot of 
trauma and drama around this. Like I remember hiding under a pew when it was time for me to like get called into this thing. Um, I actually recently told my sister about it and she almost like, she knew about the whole situation. She did not know about me hiding under a pew. And she's just like, oh, I wish I could have protected you. Like she's been one of my biggest cheerleaders, even if she doesn't fully understand Mm -hmm. um, everything about queerness and my spouse is trans. So that was um, having to explain that identity um, to her. Yep. And she's like, I don't fully understand it right now, but I'll work on it and I love y'all, which is really so, all that's needed. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you don't need to understand every aspect of it, but acceptance is a good place to start. <laughs> acceptance is a great place to start. To start. Yes. To start. <laughs> to start. <laughs> um, even tolerance is a great place to start. Oh, yeah. So I remember when tolerance was the big word and we're just like, I don't want to be tolerated anymore. I would love Mm -hmm. to be celebrated, but Mm -hmm. in order to be celebrated, the tolerance, you've got to start there. It's a starting point. Mm. There was lots of, lots of gaslighting, lots of, this isn't you, lots of, you're going to go to hell. Um, and, and having to, yeah, kind of tear all of that apart and be like, nope, nope, I'm not a bad human. I'm not going to go to hell because that's fake. And that's another story. (laughs) Um, And being able to come out of that, I'm not going to say unscathed, um, but Mm. being able to come out of that and using, using those lessons and using those stories to come back and say, here's what this looks and feels like when you say some of these things, Mm -hmm. when you say we love the sinner and hate the sin, here's what this Mm -hmm. feels like. And here's what you're actually saying. When you say that, yes, you can, yes, we're accepting, you can be a part of our church and then making sure that that person or that family only sits in a pew on Sunday mornings. That is, how can we start to change and shift that narrative so that little 17-year-old queer kids don't have to go through that anymore? Or seven-year-old queer kids don't have to go through that anymore. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it sounds to me but I might have got this wrong, but it sounds to me like you had already come to that conversation having done internally some of the the processing around. So, you know, the idea that that you're going to go to hell, for example. Had you already come with the idea that that's not even a thing? Um, had you processed enough around being queer that you knew that that you weren't doing anything sinful or was that something you had to process during the experience Hmm. trying trying to suss out the trauma memory because that's a good question I know I don't I don't (laughs) want to kind of land you too deeply in the in the trauma memory so if it's if it's too much that's fine we'll skip but no you're good it's a it's a good question and a good thought of I think I had an inkling Mm -hmm. but I don't think I knew okay I think there was the like, no, this, this can't be, there's, there's this, you're, you're preaching and telling me that God is love. Yes. And then on the other hand, you're saying literally the opposite. <laughs> um, So yeah. make it make sense, essentially, I think is, is where I was going with that. And I, like I said, I don't think I had the words to ask the questions or to be able to say, I think I had like the inklings of this doesn't fully sit right with me mm-hmm. um but then when you're kind of gaslit yeah. out of that intuition 
Yeah. And And strangely, I went to a relatively conservative Christian school, Christian college. Mm -hmm. And as as happens in college, no matter where you go, horizons open up somehow. And the moment I realized, oh, queer Christians do exist. Because I think that was a big part of my bubble is I had never actually met or talked to at 17 years old, another person who identified as queer and as Christian together and was kind of making that work. That changed in college. Um, So that really propelled me into being able to ask some of those harder questions. I was still on a relatively conservative campus, so I had to be quieter still about where my questions were, but the fact that they were welcomed in some spaces um, was a huge breath of fresh air. There was something that I wanted to say when you were talking about your when other people were questioning what you intuitively knew about yourself, that there was some gaslighting is exactly the appropriate word. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, that's what I'm really interested in in the research that I'm doing around mm. what I call spiritual abuse. Mm-hmm. which is attempting to talk people out of their identities because <laughs> why that wouldn't be considered inherently abusive, I don't know. Um, oh, that The but, phrasing you just used, attempting to talk people out of their identities. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> or to, to, there was something that the way in which you were speaking sounded like there was a degree of critical thinking and theological awareness that was already there. I'm mean, obviously you've taken that a little bit further because you've you know you've become more actively involved mm-hmm. uh, in in those spaces. A lot of people that I know who've had had same or similar experiences just walked away. You know, church is not for me, mm-hmm. um, and you didn't. There was something that you already knew. That's how it sounded to me that, yeah. that you already knew, not just emotionally but intellectually. There was a degree of critical thinking. It was like doesn't sound. Right. And I remember having this experience as a young, a very young person doing the Bible reading in church. I wasn't brought up in the church, but the school, the school that I went to, we had to go to church services. Okay. And I was reading um, Paul's letter to the Romans and it was all about love and how, you know, just be kind to each other and compassion and, you know, love, love, love all the way. Mm-hmm. And then listening to the preacher saying something completely, almost the opposite and thinking, how how are these two things the same thing? And knowing at age 10 that there was a huge dissonance and loving the words, thinking these, these words are beautiful, but what, like, what, how could this guy who's, you know, in the, the robes, have read this and come to the conclusion that he's just told us about from the pulpit. So that was already happening with you by the sounds of it. Yeah. That's yeah. That's, that's kind of what I feel like. I think I, I was always the one that was asking the questions like, and it was annoying. I'm sure, you know, the the (laughs) little undiagnosed ADHD girl um, who was just always digging around and asking questions and, and all of those other things and, and, and annoying all the grownups with asking why we can't say fuck and just, you know, all of those <laughs> other things. So I think I had already started to put together that adults don't always know what they're talking about because I had asked yes. questions that no one could answer. Yeah. That, or at least that no one could provide me an answer for other than because I said so. That was, 
that was a lot of the the explanations for things for me growing up was because I said so. Okay, cool. So I think I started to internalize that as, okay, no one's got a good answer for me. So that means I can look further and find my own. Exactly. They forget that children can read and also now have access to the internet. So Erin, tell me a little bit about your work on ADHD. Yeah. So that whole, my entire diagnosis just changed my life. Um, I think that is, especially as an adult, I was diagnosed at the age of 36. Um, And that it changed my entire outlook on so many different things. It became a big part of how I operate in my faith and realizing that God wired my brain differently. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's broken. And I kept hearing from a lot of other people that there was some struggle in doing some regular, some of these regular things that that Christians do to stay, you know, good in their faith community. So, you know, they're reading the Bible every day and they're doing the devotionals and doing all of that. And I'm just like, we don't have to, A, we don't have to do all of those things to stay in right relationship with God, like period. And mm-hmm. if you want to do them, why are you trying to force yourself to do them in ways that your brain won't? Mm-hmm. Um, so in kind of doing all of this over the last couple of months, I was in the middle of like writing a devotional and it was going to be something very different. And I wrote it and realized I didn't want to interact with this book. Right. So like If I don't want to read my own shit, <laughs> then I don't want to put it out there. Um, so I ended up rewriting it entirely and... I came up with the the concept of an ADHD devotional, which yes, I love that. It it kind of blew my mind, even with me coming up with it. So it's it's got it, and it's a devotional, and it's written in ways where it's easier to read. It's easier for people with brains like mine to engage with. At least I think it is. I'm still kind of in testing mode with it because it's my content, it's my words. So I'm in love with them, and I'm obsessed with them. Um, but I'm wanting to make sure that it works for other people that have brains similar to mine. So there's like, it's low key, a coloring book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's low key, a coloring book. I think I called it a coloring workbook. So it's, it's, um, it's got the coloring pages and it's got the actual devotional content, but it's also like intentionally I'm saying, okay, no interact with me here. So why are you here? What are you reading? What did you get out of this? Because it might Mm -hmm. be something very different than I got out of it. Um, it was a lot of fun to write and put together, still testing it. And so far I've gotten nothing but amazing feedback. So apparently yeah. this is working out. Yeah. Great. So we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. People, people can go to your website and just sign up and get a copy into their inbox, which is fantastic. So Absolutely. thank you for offering that. I think it's amazing. Now, um, something I ask all my guests to do now is to share something um, to close, whether it's a poem or a blessing or a prayer or something. So have you have you brought something, Erin? This is probably one of the favorite things that I've written. I, um, I wrote this after... Essentially, my pastor called me out and he's like, so you need to be preaching. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Publicly just called me out one Sunday. He's just like, so you have this gift and you've been holding on to it and that's no longer a thing. (laughs) 
cool. Thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, so then after that Sunday, it was like two months later when I preached my very first sermon and mm-hmm. this particular piece um, was what I wrote and it kind of fell out of my brain that evening. And this is probably one of my favorite, most recent. So if you don't mind, I think I would like to share this one. Yes, please. Um, And it's called, so how do I do this? Um, so how do I do this? I asked, which parts of me are acceptable for this task? Which pieces of my soul do I bear in your name? Which parts of my story do I air out for your glory and fame? I've wrestled with this thought. We've gone back and forth for years. I still remember the night I was curled up in tears, not sure what was happening or if others thought I was insane. I just knew after that night, I would never be the same. I can't run away from my past, that's true, but I can turn it over to you to add to so it can blossom and bloom into something that draws the nations to you. So take all of my shards, my shrapnel, my slivers, and work your magic to turn them into gold and silver to add to the shimmer and shine that you had in mind when I first showed up in your eye. So how do I do this? I asked. Which parts of me are acceptable for this task? Bring all the parts I made, no matter how broken or bruised. Even the parts you don't think I made. Yep, bring those too. Give them over to me and we'll make them into something that's good as I created you. God said, bring it all. It's all for my glory. The good, the bad, the bloody and gory. Bring everything you've got. Please, beloved, don't worry. This is just the beginning. There's more to your story. Wow. Thank you. I love that. And it, it kind of echoes the God says yes to me that I started with, isn't it? So, yeah, that that's kind like, of where I thought of this. I asked God, mm-hmm. I asked God this and she said, yep, <laughs> bring it all, mm-hmm. bring it all. Um, thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much for your time and your energy and your authenticity today. It's been a deep pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Erin. My pleasure. It was a great, great morning to hang out together. You've been listening to Fucked Up by Faith with me, Jude Mills. Our music is by David Goodall and you can find the podcast on Spotify and all major podcast channels. If you would like to take part in the podcast or you know someone who would be an awesome guest, please do get in touch. You can do that via my website, judemills.com forward slash podcast. And I look forward to hearing from you. Go well.